Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to take a ride on the Bruise Cruise Macabro. This week, we visit the tales of the dead walking amongst us while providing tips and tricks in the event of a zombie infestation in your area. culture and folklore, the zombie is portrayed as a reanimated corpse or something bitten by a carrier of the zombie virus. Zombies have normally been portrayed as incredibly strong, single-focused creatures with rotting flesh. Although they seem to have superhuman strength, this is a result of having no pain receptors to tell them to stop doing a certain activity due to them being undead. For example, a zombie may reduce its own hand down to a nub while attempting to reach a human behind a barricade, while a human would cease pounding on the barricade when the pain was too much to bear. It is believed that the ancient Greeks very well may have been the first civilization terrorized by the undead. Through painstaking work, archaeologists have unearthed many ancient graves containing skeletons pinned down by rocks or other heavy objects. These same archaeologists have theorized this was to keep the corpses from rising out of the grave. In addition to the Greeks, zombie stories have been around for centuries in Haiti, possibly since the 17th century, as a result of West African slaves tending to the sugar plantations there. Deplorable conditions left these slaves longing for freedom, drawing a correlation between the life of a slave and the afterlife of a zombie. These slaves also brought with them the voodoo religion, which is still practiced in Haiti, West Africa, Brazil, the Caribbean, and the southern United States. While the belief of zombification is prevalent in voodoo mythology, most people believe that zombies are a myth. However, some do believe that zombies are revived by a voodoo practitioner known as a bakor. Bakors traditionally use herbs, shells, fish, animal parts, bones, and other objects to create concoctions including zombie powders containing tetradoxin, a deadly neurotoxin found in pufferfish and other marine animals. High doses of this substance can lead to paralysis and coma. In these situations, a subject could appear dead or be buried alive and revived later. There are several credible reports in medical journals of people using these compounds to induce paralysis, then revive them from the grave. In a British medical journal, The Lancet, there are various accounts of zombies. The first Haitian woman appeared to be dead, resulting in her being buried in her family's tomb, reappearing three years later. Her parents admitted her into a local hospital, resulting in an investigation. 
that revealed that her tomb was filled with stones. Another well-documented case, a Haitian man named Clairvius Narcisse entered a local hospital with severe respiratory problems in 1962. After slipping into a coma, Narcisse was declared dead and buried shortly thereafter. However, 18 years later, a man walked up to Angela Narcisse, claiming he had been buried alive and forced to work on a sugar plantation. Zombies have been appearing in literature as far back as 1697. According to Lynn Troost's book, The Undead, 18th century being described as spirits or ghosts, not ravenous cannibals. Zombies appearing in films around the same time as Frankenstein and Dracula and the 1932 film White Zombies. However, they did not receive the same cult following as Frankenstein and Dracula until George A. Romero released Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Over 15 years, Romero released other classics, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, with each entry becoming more realistic and gruesome as technology. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Maybe like the Bruce Cruise podcast? Then I have to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And the best part, it's free. That's right, free. Anchor sports a plethora of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast for you. So your voice and experience can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. One of the coolest parts, you have the option to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started on your podcast today. Progressed. The zombie virus is transmitted by infected blood and other bodily fluid, most frequently through the bite of a zombie. If a zombie bites you and breaks the skin, you have approximately 90 seconds to diagnose yourself. If you begin to sweat profusely, feel nauseous, and shake uncontrollably, you have been infected and will soon become a zombie. If you are bitten and do not go through these stages, you are most likely a carrier of the disease. If you feel nauseous, you are infected. You have around 90 seconds after infection before you regurgitate a large amount of blood and die. Survivors should stay clear of any infected victims until after the victim has vomited and died. Death to reanimation interval Victims of zombie virus will remain deceased for a brief time before reanimating as a zombie. The more body mass, the longer it will take. A general rule of thumb is one minute. Bonus time if it takes longer. If you have enough time and enough will to stomach the act, decapitate, 
or destroy the brain of the deceased as quickly as possible. Do not allow children to be in view of this act. If the head is not severed or brain destroyed quickly, the virus will take control of the body and reanimate it. The eyes will open and body will jump to life. It's at this point that it is no longer a human, but a zombie. So do not in any circumstance treat it as a human. If you are bitten and decide to take the noble way and put an end to your own life, it can greatly reduce casualties and more zombies and relieve friends and family the trauma of having to kill their reanimated companion. If you must kill a close friend or relative, remember, they are no longer human. A firearm at close range is the best tool for this job, but you can also use a knife or blunt object as long as you destroy the brain as completely as possible. Here are some common traits of the zombie. They are interested in only humans and will not bite other members of the animal kingdom. However, they do respond to loud noises, such as a dog barking. A zombie has one goal and one goal only, and that is feeding on human flesh. They do not sleep, they feel no pain, and prefer to hunt in the dark. For some unknown reason, they are attracted to shopping malls. They can be seen in feeding frenzies that could include up to 100 zombies or more, and will attract even more with their moans. They will attack mannequins and other human-like objects and sounds. Zombies can and will walk underwater. Always keep this in mind when seeking safe harbor. Only traverse deep waters and set a perimeter and countless people watch until you can be sure there is no underwater activity. You can spot a non-zombie quite easily if they signal that they are human. So remember to always walk upright, move arms in a deliberate, meaningful way, and smile. For zombies cannot smile. You can also signal with a whistle or other human-only sounds, but be cautious, this can attract zombies. Understanding how a zombie behaves is your first step in survival during a zombie infestation. We must warn you this episode includes details of dismemberment, cannibalism, death, and horror. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. Having the correct armament, equipment, communication, and tactics seem like a silly waste of time without discipline. If only one tool goes with you into battle against the living dead, let it be strict, unwavering, unquestionable discipline. A self-controlled group, regardless of numbers, can inflict infinitely more damage on an undead enemy than any well-armed mob. Since most in your group won't be trained military personnel, this caliber is difficult to come by. When selecting your team, make sure that the men and women understand the importance of discipline.
As with any other type of combat, undead warfare should never be a solo mission. As stated before, in Western, particularly American culture, this is where the myth of individual super being, one man or woman, well armed and highly skilled, with nerves of steel, can conquer the world. In truth, anyone believing this should simply strip naked, holler for the undead, then lay down on a silver platter. Not only will going in alone get you killed, it may also create one more zombie. Working together, always together, has shown to be the only successful strategy for annihilating an undead army. Ensure that you stay alert. Maybe you're elated from a successful fight. Maybe you're tired from days without sleep. Maybe hours upon hours of fruitless searching have left you mind-numbingly bored. For whatever reason, never, I mean never, let your guard down. The undead could be anywhere. Their sounds muffled, their signs ignored. No matter how safe the area seems, be alert, be alert, and most importantly, be alert. Your command understands your instructions. Use clear, concise language. Do not resort to military or other coded jargon. Your team is not familiar with its meaning. Make sure there is one leader acknowledged and respected by the entire group. Make sure there are no personal differences, or at very least, that they are left far behind. If these demands mean thinning your ranks, be it. Your team should and must function as one. If not, a plethora of nightmarish possibilities awaits. Large, well-equipped groups have been utterly destroyed when their members have panicked, scattered, or turned on each other. Forget what you've seen in movies and those loose bands of locals, beer and shotguns, and had protecting humanity from the zombie menace. In real life, such a gaggle would be a little more than a gun-toting buffet. One of the more important aspects of surviving a zombie infestation is to have a base and have support. A team should never go into battle without having established a safe zone. This area should be well lit and provide the group with all the necessary items and should be an easily defensible position. A supply dump should spring to mind as a place to attempt a reconnaissance only in the daylight. It is a much more difficult place when the sun goes down due to Homo sapiens lacking night visions and mostly creatures of the day. Many obstacles can turn up other than the undead when visiting supply dumps. Use guides. Not every battle will occur on home turf. Before entering an area unfamiliar to you or your group, recruit someone with local knowledge. He or she can point out all the hiding places all the obstacles, all the escape routes, and so on. Groups without guides have been known to accidentally trigger disasters by failing to know that a gas main was within their firing line or the toxic chemicals were stored in the building that they had set ablaze. Successfully, armies throughout history have always employed locals from the territory they sought to conquer. Armies that have entered blind have usually met with defeat. Let the outside world know that the humans are safe. Maybe even at a tornado-proof safe house now being constructed in the American heartland are designed to resist mild to moderate twisters. 
The layout consists of concrete walls, steel reinforced doors, and steel shutters, neatly concealed behind everyday curtains. On their own, these domiciles could withstand both Class 1 and Class 2 outbreaks. Modifications to houses securing a house against the undead is similar to securing it from the surviving humans. One difference is the common burglar alarm. Many of us sleep surely at night only because our alarms are armed and working. But what do these devices do other than sending a signal to private security or the police force? What if these forces don't come? What if they are occupied with other battles? What if they are ordered to protect areas deemed more important? What if they have ceased to exist, disappeared into the stomachs of ghouls? In any of these cases, direct means of defense are called for. Plan your escape. Unless the route is always occupied by confident hunters, you can become overwhelmed. Have a planned escape path. If numbers are too great, this escape path could result in the hunters being trapped when fighting the undead. You may ask yourself during the process of listening to this episode, what is the perfect protection from the undead? We're going to be brutally honest here. There isn't one. Defense isn't as simple as physical safety. Suppose you manage to find, build, or modify a structure to keep the external threats at bay. Then what? Zombies won't just go away. And there's no telling how long it will take for rescue. How will you survive? Hunger, thirst, disease, and many other factors have claimed as many lives as the walking dead. Siege warfare, the type our ancestors faced when their castles or villages were surrounded by enemies, is what you will be facing when the dead walk again. Physical safety is only one part of the equation. To be fully prepared, you must have a working knowledge of stationary survival. In an interdependent world, this art has long since been forgotten. Look around your home. How many items have been manufactured within 10, 50, even 100 miles of it? Our way of life, particularly as members of the richest industrialized nation on Earth, requires a delicate network of transportation and communication to continue existing. Remove that network and we are reduced to a standard of living reminiscent of medieval Europe. Those who comprehend this and plan for such an existence stand a much greater chance of survival. Before the dead rise, before the chaos and carnage begin, homeowners will find that they are safer than their neighbors. Although no house was ever constructed for defense, several designs have proven remarkably secure. If yours itself is not structurally ready for a zombie attack, various methods could be employed to fortify it. Exceptions, stilted homes, as seen on beaches and along rivers and other watermark areas, were built mainly to avoid being overrun by flood. Their heights already make conventional attacks impossible. Doors and windows could even remain open and unboarded. The entrance and one or two outside staircases could either be basic or destroyed once the alarm is sounded. Secure on this raised platform, survival time would be determined only by the amount of improvisation the homeowner had stockpiled. There is another highly protective dwelling that was built to combat 
a force just as prevalent and just as deadly as an undead defense. The motorized <clears throat> the motorized sweep is almost the polar opposite of a stampede. It is a slow, calm, methodical approach. Your hunters traveling in large infested areas can be provided with powerful, well-protected vehicles and must travel at speeds no greater than 10 miles an hour. You must patrol the entire infested area. Sharpshooters can pick off the undead one shot at a time until none are left standing. Trucks do work best for this due to the snipers having an easier, safer vantage point from the roof. Although this tactic reduces the mop-up time of a stampede, each body will still have to be inspected and disposed of. Open areas are ideal for the motorized sweep, although the slower speed involved in parachute jumps allows limited use of this tactic in urban areas. As with all motorized vehicles, avoid dense and or tropical areas. Once again, as with the sweeping of a square mile stampede, you will still need to plan for an extensive mopping up period. Taking pot shots from the roof of your Chevrolet Suburban will not get that last zombie at the bottom of the pond, locked in a closet, wandering the sewers, or lurking in a basement. Of all of the hunting methods used against the dead, Stampede is perhaps the most theatrical. The process involves dividing your party into teams, boarding several motor vehicles, driving through the infested area, and running over every zombie they find. That image of a modern-day stampede from which this tactic gets is it has all but been abandoned. By knowledgeable hunting, hitting a goal with a vehicle rarely results in a kill. More than likely, animated corpse is left crippled crawling around with shameful spinal column and useless legs. Always plan to follow up your speed chase with hours of mopping up by team of dismounted hunters. If you do decide on the stampede tactic, use it in plains, desert tundra, and other wide open areas. Urban zones present too many obstacles, such as wrecked cars or abandoned barricades. Too often, stampeding hunters have found their paths blocked and the situation radically reversed. Avoid swamps or wetlands entirely. You will also need to familiarize yourself with the different terrain types as you try to survive through this zombie infestation. A forest, for example. If you're hunting, watch for predators. This does include bears, tigers, lions, depending on where you may be. Because if you recall, this is a zombie infestation. Many animals in the zoo may have been released either accidentally or on purpose by misguided individuals thinking the zombies would attack these precious animals. Setting a fire should always be a last resort when hunting in the forest. Vast open areas called the planes. You'll want to use pre-range sharpshooting sighted rifles 
And of course, if the undead do see you, make sure you plan your safe zone before entering a combat area. Much safer to make a fire whenever you may need it while touring the planes. Just remember, this will attract the undead. So make it fast. It very well may be more than one person's job to just hunt. While you'll also want to have a few lookouts looking in all directions with binoculars to ensure you are not snuck up on by the undead. Supplies you may need list as followed. Slings, scissors, medical tape, antiseptic swab sticks, antiseptic and cleaning towelettes, antibacterial soap, sterile gauze iPads, petrol sterile lancets, three gallons of extra potable water, two maps, immediate zones slash surrounding area, extra batteries for all, for all electronic devices, two compasses, ten extra emergency flares, four compact interesting tools, could be carried as hand-to-hand weapons. Transportation. Unlike the scenario described in On the Run, the goal of this section is to help you not escape an area, but sweep it. The undead is not to be avoided, but attracted. Also, unlike the previous chapter, you will be alone, and the support area should be ma- make fueling and servicing a vehicle much easier. With this in mind, use the noise from an engine will act as a lure in this instance. Removing the rubber from a bicycle's tires can accomplish the same result. Do not become too dependent on your vehicles unless applied to a specific strategy. Use them more as means to getting it to and from a battle site. Once in the area, dismount and search on foot. This will allow for greater flexibility, particularly in urban areas. Ensure you are checking everywhere in the plains, in urban areas, or compact cities, for various chemicals are stored in all of these places, and ensure that their destruction does not harm your team. Make sure you are practicing with incendiaries, blowtorches, Molotov cocktails, flares before entering combat. You must know what they are capable of. Be aware of flammable leaking gas mains. The danger of these fumes, spilled chemicals, leaking tanks on automobiles could not only cause an explosion with firing a weapon or the carelessness of a tossed cigarette, but these can also cause unconsciousness for your team if you are not aware of what is around you. Two silent weapons could be carried as secondary weapons, advisable supplies, three explosive devices, two grappling hooks, 50 feet of rope, nylon construction, 76 diameter tensile strength, 6,500 pounds load absorption, 1,450 feet pounds, two pairs of binocular, minimum 500 millimeters lenses times 10 power, Two crowbars can be carried as hand-to-hand weapons. Two bolt cutters. Toolkit must include hammer claw and bell peen 4-ounce diagonal 
four pliers with spring, four to six long nose pliers with cutters, Phillips screwdri- screwdrivers, three, four, three inches, four inches, and stubby. Slot screwdriver, four to five inches. Jeweler screwdriver set 12 and 12 X hacksaw, three millimeter electrical tape, adjustable wrench, a hand drill with two to five millimeter bit set. Axe or hand hatchet could be carried as a hand to hand weapon. Medical kit must include bandages. Cotton balls, two arm the team should follow and have standard for the whole team. You may think to yourself after a skirmish, huh? Oh, thank God that's over. It's never over when dealing with the undead. You must have the will to listen. Always be wary of secondary zombie groups. The moment a ghoul is put down, cease all activity and listen to the world around you. Chances are that if any bites are within earshot, they will have overheard the battle and are moving in on your position. Dispose of all bodies. Once the area is truly secure, burn both the bodies of the undead and those in your party who have fallen. First, this erases the chance of infected human corpses reanimating as zombies. Second, it prevents the health risks associated with any type of rotting flesh. Freshly slain humans provide an attractive meal for birds, scavenging animals, and of course, other zombies. We spoke slightly earlier about using fire as a weapon, but make sure you do keep in mind once again the larger implications when you start the blaze to burn the bodies of the dead and the undead. Make sure you can control the blaze. If not, the fire can and will endanger your group. Is the zombie threat serious enough to warrant destroying great amounts of personal property? Mind you, there may be supplies and safe areas in any buildings you destroy while burning these bodies. Make sure you are making the right decision. If there's only three zombies, a small fire will be plenty to get rid of these bodies. You don't want to burn down half a town for three zombies. As we stated previously, fire can be a powerful enemy as well as a powerful ally. Use it only when necessary. Make sure your team can easily escape a wild blaze. Make sure you know where all explosives and poisons are to avoid any tragic accidents. Never go off alone. There may be times when it is wasteful to send an entire team to do one person's job. Would five individuals cover more ground than a group of all bunched together? In terms of time and efficiency, yes. For safety, the priority of any zombie sweep staying together is mandatory. As raided individual could be easily surrounded and consumed. Even worse, hunters have come up against walking dead who are only hours before members of their party. You must be thorough. In the early stages of an outbreak, people tend to capture, not kill, zombies they have known before the tragedy struck. When the captors have either fled or been devoured, restrained zombies may remain for years, 
able to repeat the cycle if released. After an area has been swept for ghouls, sweep it again, then sweep it again. Zombies could be anywhere. In sewers, attics, basements, cars, air ducts, crawl spaces, even inside walls or under mounds of debris. Pay particular attention to bodies of water. Zombies wandering at the bottom of lakes, rivers, even reservoirs have been known to surface well after an area has been declared safe. Knock. Before entering a room, locked or otherwise, always listen for activity inside. A zombie could be on the other side of the door, docile, quiet, ready to move at first sign of prey. How is this possible? Maybe bent humans succumbed behind their locked doors. Maybe they were put there by another uniformed human, humans who believed they were protecting their loved ones. For whatever reason, the chances of this scenario are at least 1 in 7. If at first you hear nothing, make some noise, this will either galvanize any silent ghouls or confirm that the room is empty. No matter what, be on your guard. One very good option is let them come to you. More than any other tactic, this allows the living to fully exploit their advantage of intelligence. A human army, knowing an attack is coming, will wait patiently and safely on the defense. This is why in conventional human warfare, an attacker always needs at least a 3-to-1 numerical advantage to ensure success. Not so with the undead, for they are driven simply by instinct. They will attack no matter what the situation. This gives you the advantage of simply waiting for a newly infested area and letting them come to you. Make as much noise as you can, light bonfires, even send one or two fast scouts to lure them out. When the dead come, you will be in a position of aggressive defense, ready to kill the majority before going in mop-up mode. Keep in mind these are simply advisable situations and common sense should always be used in the event of a zombie infestation, but it can never hurt to use these options to build a game plan once again in the event of the dead rising. Stay on the cruise, Bruce Cruz, because next week we're going to dive into ancient aliens and blow your socks off with cows flying and flying saucers flying through the air. Stay good, because we're always good.